0: Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced
1: by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for tuning in to AOA. It is Friday, May 6th, oh my goodness, it's Mother's Day weekend almost upon us, folks. This is your warning, get out there, call that flower shop, make sure you are taking care of your mom on Sunday. We've got a lot coming on today's show. We've been speaking lately a lot about biofuels, and today we're gonna turn the focus and our conversations today are going to mainly be about meat. We're gonna speak with Dan Halstrom, President and CEO of the US Meat Export Federation here in just a bit. There's more good news when we look out at meat exports around the world. Then in segment two, Rob Fox, the director of the CoBank Knowledge Exchange, will be joining us. We had some jobs data come out this morning from Uncle Sam. We saw the... Federal Reserve raised interest rates on Wednesday. Things are changing from the broad economy's perspective, and Rob's going to help us make sense of what to expect here as we get into the summer. And then in segment three, Dr. Glenn Tonser, the professor in the Ag Econ Department over at K-State, is going to join us. He is the creator of the monthly Meat Demand Monitor. And as we enter this period where prices at the retail level continue to accelerate, monitoring domestic demand, I think, is vital for clues as to how this both pork and beef industries could accelerate through the remainder of the year. So stay with us, folks. We'll have all those conversations coming. But first and foremost, more records shattered in the meat export game. Joining me now is Dan Halstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Dan, thanks for joining us today.
2: Yes, good morning, Mike. Thank you for having me.
1: Let's talk first about these beef exports. We saw March set another new record in value for beef moved off our shores. Dan, give us the details. How much beef were we selling in the month of March?
2: Well, Mike, yeah, the, the momentum continues on the beef side uh, globally. Um, we had about 126,000 tons exported March. Uh, which shows continued good growth uh, as compared to last year's record. And once again, I hate to sound like a broken record, but it's pretty broad based. It's the Asian markets, so you know, Korea, Taiwan, uh, China of course, and it's a combination in with the Latin American markets as well. You've still got some strength in places like uh, South America, Caribbean, et cetera. So, uh, it's pretty uh, remarkable in my opinion what's going on considering that at least so far these price levels have uh has, has translated and continued business so uh with all the headwinds that are out there as we know uh with inflation and with uh you know logistical concerns in the international pipeline uh strong u.s dollar in a few countries despite all that uh, we're still seeing pretty good demand on the beef set
1: Thinking about Asia and China in particular, Dan, does this data include the information that would come from when Shanghai was shut down and when COVID started to roil that country?
2: Um, it, it would only reflect maybe the very beginning. Uh, I think April and May will be probably more impacted by that. Um, as we as we have heard, uh, you know, the COVID-19 is in the rearview mirror for most of us and most of the world, actually, but still in... In uh, Hong Kong, China, uh, and Taiwan, we're still seeing, especially in China, this zero COVID policy and and massive lockdowns are are really uh, compounding the issues that we have out there, one of them being the shipping issue. Uh, If you can't get people to the ports to work, um, you're you're gonna even slow down even further and congested even more. So that's what we're seeing right now. But to answer your question, probably April will be much more impacted than uh, March was.
1: One of the things I thought was interesting in your report, Dan, was that Middle Eastern countries have been ramping up their beef purchases. Can you tell us where that's going? And is this making its way mainly into food service or are folks in the Middle Eastern region eating meat at home?
2: Well, um, during COVID, uh, going back to 20 and 21, Um, There was an increase in in eating at home there as well, but uh, the Middle East region is one of the first regions that was probably least impacted by COVID-19 in general, and here uh, in late 2021 and and all of 2022, food service has been rebounding well back to normal. In fact, uh, hotel occupancy rates in some of these Middle Eastern cities like Dubai are are 80 to 85 percent, and so, so that's a really good uh, omen for, uh, for demand at food service. So traditionally food services are stronghold over there, so for U.S. beef. So uh, this is contributing, you know, places like the Emirates where Dubai is, uh, you've got Saudi Arabia, you've got Bahrain. Um, there's some pretty good overall uh, demand there.
1: That's good to hear. And we're also seeing strong demand over on the pork side. Dan, that market was really made crazy with African swine fever in China. Now that they've allegedly got that under control, where are you seeing the bulk of U.S. pork go when it leaves our shores?
2: Well, you know, Asia is still a stronghold, um, Japan, Korea, et cetera. China is still taking significant amounts, albeit quite a bit below a year ago. We're down uh, over 50% compared to last year, which was totally expected. But I tell you, the real, uh, real uh, driver has been uh, uh, the Latin American markets. We've got Mexico uh, up 24% for the month of March. they are up 30% for the year. Mexico is really uh, having some strong uh, rebound demand there, as is Central and South America. So uh, the the other thing that's happening there is that uh, similar to what I just mentioned on the Middle East, uh, in in the Latin American countries, uh, COVID is pretty well in the rear view mirror and tourism is starting to rebound as well. So the food service applications in the tourism sector are definitely adding to some of this uh, momentum.
1: Well, and so that was my question about Mexico in particular, seeing this large of a jump. Is that mainly because that food service is reopening and Mexicans are are now getting out more to restaurants?
2: Well, I think, uh, I don't think it's uh, the main thing on the pork side. I mean, it's helping pork, but uh, I think the trade business, the wholesale business, the bread and butter uh, for pork uh, as an ingredient into further processing as well as a distribution uh, protein, Uh, I think I think most of that growth, a lot of that growth comes outside the food service sector, actually. But uh, there's no doubt that having a rebound in food service uh, does help to some extent.
1: And Dan, lamb exports once again, an incredibly strong month for those. Your report noted they're up 75 percent from a year ago. What's going on in the lamb market?
2: Yeah, there's some increased traction there. Um, You know, the the mainstay markets are are the Caribbean and Mexico. They're both up significantly, but we're starting to see some uh, additional uh, business into some of the other uh, markets, uh, I call them emerging or or less developed markets for land. Uh, Places like the Philippines, for example, and and you have a few other in Korea is another one. you know Indonesia, so uh, they're they're not. It's not big volume, but uh, uh, it is uh, incremental volume. So that's a always a positive sign.
1: It is incremental volume. As it grows, eventually can become big volume. Always appreciate the insights from the USMEF President and CEO Dan Halstrom. Dan, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. Anytime. And folks, stick with us here on AOA. We'll be talking to Rob Fox, the director of the CoBank Knowledge Exchange, when we return after this break.
3: <music>
0: Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
1: Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Each week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with
0: your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose
1: cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. Tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more.
2: Get it, slip it, cuff it, check it, talk to the doctor now and share it. I get it,
4: slip it, cuff it, check it twice a day.
5: I get it, slip it, cuff it, check it in the morning and before dinner.
4: I get it, slip it, cuff it, check it and share it with my doctor. Nearly one in two U.S. adults have high blood pressure. That's why it's important to self-monitor your blood pressure in four easy to remember steps. It starts with a monitor.
5: Now that I know my blood pressure numbers, I talked with my doctor. We're getting those numbers down.
1: Get it, slip it, it check it. Talk to the doctor now and share
4: it. Be next to talk to your doctor about your blood pressure numbers. Get down with your blood pressure. Self-monitoring is power. Learn more at manageyourbp.org brought to you by the Ad Council, the American Heart Association, and the American Medical Association, in partnership with the Office of Minority Health and Health Resources and Services Administration.
5: University trials and grower use proves that adding Tuff 5 EC to the post tank mix significantly improves the control of resistant weeds such as Palmer amaranth, waterhemp, and kochia. Tough 5 EC is a selective contact herbicide that synergizes with HPPD inhibitors and enhances atrazine with fast results. Tough 5 EC is in stock and ready to ship. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5 EC or visit belgiumusa.com. Always read and follow label instructions.
3: As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, You could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating, your kidneys could keep filtering, and your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration.
0: Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Mextron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. information farmers and ranchers need to know AOA.
1: Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for joining us today. Our next guest is Rob Fox. He's the director of the CoBank Knowledge Exchange. Rob, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today.
6: No problem, Mike. Good to talk to you again.
1: Before we jump into everything that's happening broadly in the ec- in the economy and in the world of agriculture, we've talked to some of your experts here on this show before, but could you tell us what is the CoBank Knowledge Exchange? Why did you guys set that up?
6: Well, I think it was originally set up about 15 years ago or so with the initial uh, purpose being to have a set of internal... Um, uh, industry experts and consultants to manage the volatile ag markets that were were occurring, you know, in that 2007, 08, 09 kind of timeframe with the wild, while the increasing um, grain prices and, and resulting uh, liquidity needs by our customers. That was the original genesis, but I think it quickly kind of turned into also a um, uh, a knowledge source for our customers and for uh, the in, you know, industry as a whole. And it's, uh, uh, it generates a fair bit, fair bit of good publicity for CoBank. And uh, you know, so it serves a variety of purposes for, for CoBank.
1: Absolutely, and especially when we're in an environment today that certainly rhymes a lot with the grain market environment of 05 to 0, you know, to 2012, I suppose y- you mentioned this is a collection of, of the experts there at Cobank to take a look at the factors that could be impacting agriculture. Rob, one of the factors that is going to have a, an impact is rising interest rates. Federal Reserve hiked rates again this week. As you think about ag in the context of a rising rate environment, Rob, what challenges Challenges are developing here this year.
6: Well, I got to be honest with you, Mike. It's, it, rising interest rates are are on my list of of things to watch, but they're they're fairly well down because you know if you look at uh, operating budget and um, you know uh, the capital expenditure expectations and so forth, interest rates are so have been so low over the past few years, it's not normal by any stretch to have, uh, you know, fed funds at zero. And that translates, you know, at the farm level to something like 4% interest rates. And and if you look at, um, at crop budgets and so forth, you know, the expenses of things like fertilizer, seed, you know, diesel, these costs are much, much larger than that interest rate. So, I don't wanna downplay, uh, you know, rising interest rates because they're going to to rise, you know, 3%, maybe 4 So, you know, at the farm level, you could be looking at seven percent um, you know, interest rates for the variety of loan uh, uh, types that you have out there. Uh, but I'm, I'm much more worried about, Uh, Price volatility, fertilizer prices, uh, supply chain, labor issues, Um, just there's so much going on in the world that uh, um, I would say interest rates are not my highest concern at the moment.
1: Well, that makes sense, uh, given the fact that today, here, May 6, 2022, Rob, we are looking at the highest recorded average price for diesel. It surpassed the previous record, which was set yesterday. So these inputs are climbing rather precipitously. How do you feel this combination, this constellation of factors is going to impact ag's profitability broadly here in 2022?
6: Well, it kind of depends on which segment of the ag markets you're looking at, you know, we all, I personally tend to start with your your row crops, your corn, wheat, beans, um, and so forth. You know, and even with those record high input prices, we also on the opposite side have near or record high crop prices also. So when you do a a, you know pro forma budget for 2022 crop if you're looking at fall prices things still look fairly decent you know not not as strong as last year but still profitable by all regards for your major row crops now you know the, the livestock industry is a, uh, you know, a little bit different because they have to deal with those high feed costs in addition to all the other, other high costs. So, you know, we're looking, generally speaking, the, the pork and beef, beef guys are roughly break even, um, depending where you are in the country, could be a little better, bit better, but a little bit worse. So, you know, overall, if you look at the overall ag economy, Um, You know USDA confirms this, and then we do as well. But uh, things are generally going to be fairly positive for 2022. But again, there are pockets that are uh, particularly going to struggle. You know, California uh, and the lack of uh, the water there, and and extreme, extreme high costs of doing business. You know, things not so rosy there. But You know, the the corn belt, the weather looks very, very, very good, and and, uh, cotton growers, where they have water, are going to have a great year. So, um, you know, generally things are looking pretty good, but a few areas of concern.
1: Well, you mentioned cotton growers there, Rob, and that's they, a lot of those folks are in a territory that has been impacted pretty severely by drought. As you look at the, the outlook for cotton here over the summer, where do you see it going? And is it really just going to depend on the rainfall?
6: Well, you, you nailed it. You know, the, the primary driver is going to be rainfall in, in uh, West Texas, primarily, where you know a big chunk, of roughly a third of the U.S. crop is grown out there, and you know why I think why you've seen the, the uh, 30, 40 forty cent run up in the past uh, you know six weeks has more to do with weather than it has to do with the uh, the Ukraine situation, which is what's driving a lot of the other uh, ag dynamics. So um you know the weather it, uh, does not look good by any stretch in West Texas they did get a little bit of rain recently but uh, that's not I don't think it's going to be enough to uh, to match last year's abandonment excellent abandonment rate and yields so although U.S cotton acreage is going to rise nine percent this year I would expect you know, we're going to get pretty strong abandonment rate in Texas, and, um, you know, yield there are going to suffer as well. So uh, we may not, even though acreage is going to go up 9%, we may not, we may get less cotton this year than we did last. So um, combine that with um, with the uh, the very strong demand that mills have been pulling the past, you know, couple of you know, 18 months, let's say, as, as COVID has rebounded. And there's these kind of if you study supply chains, there's kind of this bull whip or whiplash effect where the, the delays in response to orders and what you know when when the cotton is shipped and so forth. So my big concern is that a dollar fifty cotton mills are gonna put on the brakes. You know, it goes all the way to the um, apparel buyers. You know, with the uh, the major clothing manufacturers and, and retailers are going to say, whoa, 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 we can't we can't sell jeans at seventy five dollars you know a pair. You're going to have to figure something else out. So, what that does is it really really turns down the dial on cotton uh, demand, usage, consumption. But the thing is, that takes That takes months. You can't just do that, um, you know, uh, immediately. So that's why we see this massive run-up in prices because they still need the cotton to fulfill orders and the pipeline and so forth. But my concern is that, um, you know, ultimately $1.50 cotton is not good for cotton growers in the long term because there can be significant demand destruction that can last for years And we saw that happen in, you know, 07, 08, uh, and and 09, and 11. These massive cotton spikes, what they did is got the end buyers, you know, in New York City or whatever to say, take cotton out of the mix, you know, because it's too expensive. Our, you know, consumers are not going to pay that much. So uh, we want, you know, cotton cotton in the 120 range, that's, that's, That's fair. I mean, that's, you know, we have inflation across the board. That would be in line with kind of everything else, but I do not like cotton at 150.
1: 150, a little too high. We'll see if this market pulls down and what happens with weather there across the Southern Plains. Always appreciate the conversation with Rob Fox, the director of the Cobank Knowledge Exchange. Rob, thanks for joining us today.
6: Thanks, Mike. Have a good one.
1: And folks, stick with us. Dr. Glenn Tonsor of K-State will be joining us. We'll talk about meat demand, looking at the retail perspective for consumer demand of meat. Stay with us here on AOA.
0: Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Smart stays on the road. That's why it's in your engine because you wouldn't settle for subpar performance. Senex Maxtron synthetic diesel engine oils give you the smartest oil for the toughest conditions. These premium oils maintain 80% of their viscosity throughout the drain interval for superior engine performance across extreme temperatures. That horizon looks good with the competition behind you. Senex Maxtron diesel engine oils. Oil that runs smart.
5: Mike Rowe here with a gentle reminder that civilization is held together by pipes, wires, and cables. It's true. There are over 5 million miles of gas lines, power lines, fiber optic lines, water lines, and sewer lines all buried beneath your feet. And every 60 seconds, somebody digs into one. Look, if you're thinking about digging around, do yourself a favor and call 811 first just to find out what's down there. Trust me, you don't want to find out the hard way. Call or click 811 before you dig and visit safexcavator.com for more info you're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network I'm Jesse Allen reporting as we take a look at the grain markets here so far this morning we see real crops trading lower pressured by a forecast for warmer weather and generally better planting conditions on the horizon Now we look as well at the wheat markets. We found a little bit of strength there in wheat as wheat and canola prices rallied from a bullishly construed stats. Canada stocks report this morning showing lower inventories than expected. Now meantime, as I mentioned, quarter bean prices under a bit of pressure here as we work through the overnight and into the day session with those forecasts showing much of the Midwest drying out next week and warm temperatures drying soils out. USDA weekly crop progress report Monday expected to show modest progress, but the following Monday should show significant planting progress across virtually all of the Corn Belt other than the Northern Plains and the far northwestern Midwest. That's where planting delays are expected to remain significant for spring wheat, corn, and soybeans, accounting for between 20 and 25% of our nation's corn production. Depending on where the rains fall, so that's something we're going to watch closely. We also got uh, some other outside factors weighing into the market today. U.S. Labor Department said non-farm payrolls were up 428,000 in April, a little more than expected. Stock market continuing its sell-off from yesterday's massive sell-off as well. Right now, July corn down 13 and a half, 784. Soybeans for July down 25 and a half, 16.21 and a half. July bean meal down 4.30 a ton, 4.15.60. Soybean oil for July down 185 points at 80 even. July Chicago wheat two higher, 11.08 and a half. July Kansas City wheat down seven and a quarter, 11.69 to three quarters. Spring wheat for July currently down seven and a quarter at 12.02 and a half. Lean hogs June down 180, 105.27. Feeder cattle for May down 10 160 160.22 and June live cattle down one thirty two seventy seven. Crude oil up 70 cents at one hundred I'm Jesse Allen reporting
0: Hey dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute Hey dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute
3: Hey honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at AARP.org caregiving. That's AARP.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ed Council.
0: Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart.
1: Thanks for tuning in to AOA today, ladies and gentlemen. We are talking a lot about big market picture stuff here on the show today. And one of the things in agriculture, well, in any type of production business, of course, our ability to sell things depends on the end user's ability to buy them. So looking at demand is crucial for understanding the future of an industry. We can't just talk supply, obviously. So in order to get into the details for meat demand, joining me for this segment is Dr. Glenn Tonser. Professor of Agriculture Economics at Kansas State there in Manhattan, Kansas. He produces the monthly Meat Demand Monitor. Dr. Tonser, thanks for joining us today.
7: Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Mike.
1: Let's talk Meat Demand Monitor. Glenn, give us the breakdown first. What all are you tracking on a monthly basis with this report?
7: Yeah, so I encourage folks to go to our Ag Manager website here at K-State, the MDM Meat Demand Monitor. It's beef and pork checkoff funded. All the outputs from that are posted monthly, publicly available, and so forth. What we're doing is tracking domestic grocery store retail demand and then domestic uh, food service away from home demand on meat products. So ribeye steak and ground beef in the beef complex, pork chop and bacon in the pork complex, and then chicken, breast, shrimp, some other items as well to kind of round it out for protein. But there's a wealth of information we're getting from consumers every month, and I'm happy to summarize some of that for you with the latest we know.
1: Well, let's run through the details. We saw throughout 2021 that meat price hikes were among the steepest in the grocery store. Glenn, what has that done to demand? What did you see in the month of April?
7: Yeah, so April 2022, uh, on balance, meat demand is holding up, but it's a little weaker than it was the month before. So we're seeing some small decline, but still way above 2021 levels. So that's really important to keep in mind is the twenty 21- one um demand situation was improving as the pandemic developed, and we started 2022 even stronger. But as calendar year 2022 is proceeding forward, and you and I are talking here in early May, uh, demand is weakening a little bit. And I think that is uh, consumer incomes, some more general uh, pessimism in the economy, if you like, just giving some people some pause. Uh, I don't necessarily think it's meat itself. I think it's consumers just tightening their belts on a budget perspective of general inflation is what we're seeing going on there.
1: Of meat and pork, which of the two is seeing demand hold up a little stronger, Glenn? Uh,
7: it, when I compare April to March specifically for 2022, uh, pork demand fell a little bit more than beef demand. But my overriding comment would hold for both. So beef and pork demand is still well above a year ago. Uh, that's the, the like the punchline of this. There's a little bit of weakness. it's a little bit stronger when you compare it to march but that's like like a decimal point kind of taking a little bit to answer the question mike
1: gotcha as you think about how how consumers are interacting with the meat they're demanding glenn we saw everybody go to eat from home there in april of 2020 what's the mix of grocery store to to restaurant consumption of meats here in this country in in 2022
7: yeah so, so we have seen an ongoing shift back to away from home And actually, to round this out, you know, you're asking me the update for April. Our listeners hopefully are tracking uh, the latest information I have is for the month of April. That's why we're talking about it. But uh, away from home demand for meat actually grew in April compared to March, but at home declined. So I'm reminding you of that to answer your question is there is some ongoing shift back towards away from home. What I think we are seeing, though, is some. interest in trading down, so maybe maybe not getting the best steak that's on the menu. So they're going into the restaurants, but they may not be buying the most expensive item because, again, restaurant meal prices have went up just like the prices in the grocery store, and consumers have responded to that. Uh, they still want meat. There's lots of signals. We have what we call prior-day meal inclusion of beef and pork that we track in this effort. Uh, meat is remaining a staple in the diet, so they're not running away from it. But I think just budgets are tightening, and we're seeing some signs of that, both away from home and at home.
1: As people are are making their choices as to where to spend their protein dollar, Glenn, we've been talking a lot about the alternative proteins, the, the plant based meats, et cetera, the the various you know, fake meats that are out there in the world. Are, are you seeing a shift towards that from the from the consumer's perspective, or is the vegetarian, vegan, flexitarian component of the mix still staying about the same?
7: Yeah. So two quick comments. Again, all coming from the NPM data here is uh, usually about two-thirds uh, self-declare that they regularly consume meat products. Uh, and I say usually because that varies from like 66 to 73% depending on what month we're pegging it. Um, so roughly two-thirds are actively regular meat consumers all the time. An additional 10 to 15% are flexitarians, so they include meat in their diet, but maybe not every meal. So we break that down for those that want to track it. But you brought up plant-based as one specific component to this. Uh, we track the demand for plant-based patties, both at home and away from home in this effort. And for a quick, you know, rule of thumb, we regularly get 3 to 4% market share is the estimate in this exercise. So it is prevalent. There are some that are buying plant-based patty protein offerings, so I don't want to ignore that. But hopefully the 3 to 4% also gives some accurate context on. It still certainly is a very small share of the broader protein story here in the U.S.
1: All right. Glenn, one of the things I'm curious about, I think a lot of folks in this space are wondering about as we get into the summer, we see inflation rising, we see prices for everything at the grocery store going up. I think the question is, how are consumers going to react to these higher prices? I know you check in with the folks in your survey about how they're adjusting. What have you heard? Are, Are higher prices causing folks to change their purchasing habits quite yet?
2: Yeah, so
7: in the April survey, and we did it in March as well. We specifically asked how you're responding to higher retail prices, and the most common response is no change. So about a third of respondents saying they're not adjusting. They're you know they're just paying the higher price. The other two thirds, of course, are indicating that they're making some kind of adjustment, and the most common adjustment is they're buying the same type of product, so the same brand, the same cut, same you know beef or pork, whatever that might be, but they're just buying fewer items. So instead of going home with three items, they're going home with two. That kind of thing. Some are also indicating that they're buying smaller packages. So instead of a 12-ounce, they're getting a 10-ounce cut and those kind of things. So it's very mixed, and that's not surprising to me either because it's not just the asking price for these goods that matters. It's also the consumer income story. So some are actually having income, right. you know, There's a lot of discussion about people changing jobs and so forth. And if you're having a job change or so your income's going up, then you may not be adjusting because you can afford it with the adjustment. But conversely, if you're having what I'd call a real pay, so if inflation's eating away at your purchasing power, you're probably more likely to be making a change. So um, hopefully, you heard from my answer: is we have a big population, and some are making changes, and some aren't.
1: Yeah. And I suppose that makes sense with an economy as big and as diverse as what we see here in the United States, Glenn, we've also got a very diverse set of consumers approaching these meat products. I know as a part of the MDM, you also get the chance to ask some quasi random questions. And I was curious because you mentioned that about half of the respondents misidentified uh, the questions about pork color and beef quality grading. Could you give us a little more information on how consumers are, are maybe misunderstanding the meat space?
7: Yeah, so there's four questions we regularly include that I put in this bucket of the meat knowledge barometer. And there's, of course, a lot more you could ask than that, but four we've asked every month in this series. Uh, one is, are you aware of uh, USD's inspection of everything that's commercially sold? Uh, the other is, do you understand the difference between using cooking temperature and color to assess meat, demand, uh, meat doneness? And those two things are widely recognized. Three-fourths to 80% of the public gets those right. The two you brought up is recognizing the difference in pork color at beef quality grades and choice versus select specifically on quality grades and red versus white color on pork uh, color identification. And those are two items that I would say the industry, in that case, both the beef and pork industry, has some work to do to improve consumer awareness.
1: And do you think if we get the consumer more aware that they will be more comfortable making these purchases? Glenn, is that the hope?
7: Well, the, the hope would be along those lines, yes. Uh, you know, I'll just jump to the pork one for example. Uh, and I'm not a meat scientist, I'm an economist, but I, uh, you know, dance in circles with meat scientists, and my understanding is a pork chop product, and pork in general, let just think about pork chop for simplicity here, uh, that has a little more red tint to it, has more water-holding capacity, and again, this is dangerous because you're talking about economists, but more water-holding capacity corresponds with a more tender product and therefore a better eating experience. So I would hope if we could increase knowledge that the redder color affiliates with a better eating experience, that in turn pork chop demand would go up in that example. So uh, I think the pork industry in that simple example uh, can benefit from this, and I hope it helps pork producers by extension.
1: And on the beef side, the quality grading, people just were were confused about which was, uh, quote unquote, better choice or select?
7: That that is correct. So the way that's framed is, which is the superior uh, quality grading here is choice versus select. We don't ask about prime, but of course it is prime is above choice is above select, and the reality there, Uh, we need to remember the average consumer isn't all-knowing. I'm doing this discussion with you on an iPhone, but I have no clue how that iPhone works. I'm just happy it does. But none of us know everything about all facts of life. And that's another example to where the term select may actually seem favorable to some, but in reality, choice is superior to select. So if the beef industry could increase consumer knowledge on that, by extension, that might improve steak demand because they'd have a better eating experience from a choice steak instead of a select steak.
1: Glenn, looking out at the MDMs coming over this summer, do you are there any additional questions you think you might slip in given the volatility in the overall uh, economy?
7: So three-fourths of this project is intentionally the same month-to-month, so I can speak to month-over-month and year-over-year changes. Uh, we have a elevated focus on the impact of inflation, and you and I have talked about some of those questions. We're going to continue those. So how much higher prices do you expect next month? Uh, we're going to continue those, keep talking about them. And, you know, I do look forward to the day that inflation is less of a discussion, but in the near term, I expect the NPM will help us track that topic specifically.
1: And how it impacts the consumer, which is vital for tracking our bottom lines. Folks, if you do not have agmanager.info bookmarked in your browser, you need to. That is the K-State repository of all of the great research that they're doing down there. That's where you can find the Meat Demand Monitor. Glenn, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today and for giving us an update on how consumers are interacting with the meat space.
7: My pleasure, Mike. Everybody enjoy the rest of your day.
1: And folks, stick with us. When we return, we'll have a little more conversation, some headlines, and the news dropped yesterday. We'll dig into those in a little more detail here on AOA.
0: Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
4: recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceretirement.org now. That's aceretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke.
7: Your diesels are your engines of prosperity, so they deserve the best treatment. And with FS Fuel and Lubricant, you'll give them the gold standard. Diesel X Gold High Performance Fuel plus Suprex Gold ESP Engine Oil. Formulated to work together, they'll keep your diesels running longer and stronger, from farming to construction to trucking. Visit fsgoldstandard.com or talk with your local
3: FS energy specialist.
7: FS, bringing you what's next
0: soil the final frontier these are the voyages of the soil ship enterprise to explore soil life to boldly grow
5: where cover crops have never grown before farmer's log soil date 31655.4 We've come across some strange but incredibly helpful
0: life forms. We didn't have to travel far to find them, but these organisms have proven invaluable
1: on our trip through the solar system. They help feed us by nourishing and protecting our crops. They've built our soil structure to make it more resilient to the harsh weather we encounter. Our sensors indicate they're even helping us store carbon that plants take out of the atmosphere and put it back into the soil. Guess you can say our living and life-giving soil is the best thing to cling on to.
5: Um, sorry. that's. <laughs> Visit your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today and learn more about the basics and benefits of soil health. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station.
0: To be the king of the road, you have to fill with the king of diesels. We're talking about Senex Premium Diesel. It comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Senex Roadmaster XL even cleans up and prevents injector fouling to keep your trucks out of the shop and on the road. And typical number two diesel, that's always an option. The wrong option. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
4: I drive my bus in a busy city. That's why road safety is so important to me. I know that I must slow down and be extra careful when I make a wide turn. Buses need more room than cars. Everyone can help keep our roads safe. Next time you're driving, remember to give buses plenty of time and space to finish turning before driving ahead. Let's all plan to share the road safely. Learn how at www.sharetheroadsafely.gov.
5: University trials and grower use proves that adding tough 5EC to the post-tank mix significantly improves the control of resistant weeds such as Palmer amaranth, water hemp, and kochia. Tuff 5 EC is a selective contact herbicide that synergizes with HPPD inhibitors and enhances atrazine with fast results. Tough 5 EC is in stock and ready to ship. Ask your local retailer about Tuff 5 EC or visit BelgiumUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions.
0: Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
1: Well, thanks for tuning in to AOA today, ladies and gentlemen, I wanted to hit some big, broad economic news that was released this morning from the Department of Labor. It's Jobs Day. Jobs data was reported and U.S. employers hired at a robust pace in the month of March. The data show that 428,000 jobs were added in non-farm payrolls. That's roughly in line with the advance we saw in March and stronger than a lot of economists were expecting. Did not impact the unemployment rate that stayed steady at 3.6%. However, there were a couple of interesting nuggets in this report, largely speaking. The first is participation rate, right? So unemployment is calculated by figuring out the number of people looking for jobs versus the number of people who are employed. If you're not looking for a job, even though you're unemployed, you don't count as unemployed, you don't count in the participation rate. So as that labor participation rate, that's a sign potentially of more workers just clocking out of the labor system entirely. And what this has found is that the decline, most of the decline was centered among younger workers, and we are seeing the jobless rate for women actually be stronger than the jobless rate for men. Women aged 20 and over, their unemployment rate is 3.2%, while unemployment among men 20 and over is at 3.5%. Another thing that was reported were earnings data. Basically, what are employees getting paid and are those wages still rising? March to March, looking over the year 2021 to 2022, earnings were up 5.5% year over year. That's a big jump. That's the kind of jump we haven't seen in quite a few years in this country. However, the monthly improvement from April to March was only 0.3%. Economists say that is lower than they were anticipating and it's a sign that perhaps employers are looking to break this wage price spiral effectively customers go out there or employees go out to the grocery store they look at these higher prices they come back to their office and they say oh my goodness I can't afford to buy groceries xyz on my salary you need to pay me more wages go up which lets them buy more at the grocery store which helps keep demand up for goods overall and that contributes to higher prices at the grocery store then the customer employee has to go back to their worker and say ah prices are higher I need more money and that's the wage price spiral So economists are saying that if it's only up 0.3%, that's a sign that perhaps the wage price spiral is ending, might be a good sign longer term for this inflation rate to start to come back down. In the meantime, however, 428,000 jobs added in a month is very, very strong. It's indicative of an economy still running rather hot, so to speak, and it's probably going to give the Federal Reserve the green light to continue raising interest rates another four or five times throughout the remainder of this year. We also had some news that was reported yesterday. I was traveling back from Washington, D.C., so I did not see this when it came out. I have reached out to a number of connections in Washington, D.C. next week. We will have some folks on to discuss this in a little more detail, as we have a little bit more detail but it was reported yesterday that the Department of Justice is going to be opening a new office. It's the Office of Environmental Justice. And this is an office that is going to focus on enforcing climate rules and laws. Merrick Garland will be the head of this office. He's putting the remainder or or the rest of the staff in here over the next several weeks. And he said, quote, in our environmental enforcement efforts, we will prioritize the cases that have the greatest impact on the most communities, most overburdened by environmental harm. communities of color, indigenous communities and low income communities often bear the brunt of harm caused by environmental crime, pollution and climate change, he says wherever possible these efforts will respond directly to community needs and concerns. It's tough to say. What all of this means at this point, we are going to be getting, as I mentioned, more detail as this program gets rolled out. Folks in D.C. are breaking this down, taking a look at it. How is this office going to respond to complaints from citizens? How are these responses going to be codified and what sort of laws is this Office of Environmental Justice going to be enforcing? It's unclear to me as of yet, but we will continue to dig into this. Obviously, this is an environmental uh, issue. So even though it's under the Department of Justice, this office will will be working closely with the EPA. And EPA Administrator Michael Regan said this is vitally important. He said communities, quote, particularly those with environmental justice concerns deserve the assurance that their government will take vigorous enforcement action when polluters flout the law and jeopardize their well-being. So stay with us we're seeing more federal agencies be rolled out which means more folks potentially looking over your shoulder on your operation or in your business and Obviously, that could change the way we do business. So we will continue to dig into this issue. Stay with the show next week. We'll have some experts on to break down this announcement and just how it could play out. Also, next week, National Corn Growers Association has issued a call to action on these higher fertilizer prices. There are only 10 days left to comment in this period. On Monday, we'll be talking to Chris Edgington, president of the National Corn Growers, about how you can get on there and make your comments heard so folks in D.C. can understand what these fertilizer price hikes are doing in the country. And finally, folks, before we leave today, I want to take a minute and say thank you to all the moms out there here on this Mother's Day weekend. I think back to growing up on the farm, I remember one year for Mother's Day, dad got mom some new muck boots so she could take us out in the middle of the night when we needed to bottle feed calves. And I don't know if that's exactly, uh, gentlemen, what you should be looking at for Mother's Day presents this year. It's been reported that what moms are looking for most is flowers, then, guys, you can save some money here. Then they're looking for a nap. That's what moms say they want. They want a nap, they want a day off, and they want help with chores. So folks, this weekend, make it about your mom, whether it's, it's your mom, it's a mom special in your life. Let's take this time to celebrate the people who are keeping rural America strong, keeping our families together, keeping the dinner on the table, and oftentimes helping out in a pinch down on the operation and uh, running operations on their own as well. We here at AO, no way always proud to tip our caps to the moms in and outside of agriculture who are doing some good work. If you do need a gift idea, I just got an email about a product that looks like a basically a quick trip, big gulp, but it's got a dial on the bottom and you put a burrito in it and you crank the dial to lift the burrito out. It's called the burrito pop. If your mom is is a big fan of burritos, maybe this could save her some mess. Uh, you never know what's out there when we're celebrating our holidays, but we hope all the moms get the naps they want. This weekend, and folks, we'll see you on Monday once again for AOA.
0: Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel diesel that doesn't mess around.